It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Shadow and Bone. Chapters 1 through 5, and the prologue before. In these chapters, I'm going to need a little bit of help figuring it out, but I think that this is all taking place a little bit before what goes down in Crooked Kingdom and Six of Crows. This is a very different world, even though it is the same world. I'm extremely interested. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very, very much to Jill for commissioning this episode. Um, this originally was commissioned as a Crooked Kingdom episode because everybody sort of overestimated how many episodes it was going to take to cover that. So there is this, I think there's another episode that Jamie commissioned and another episode that maybe Denise commissioned that are all supposed to be for Crooked Kingdom, but are going towards Shadow and Bone. Um, I want to start off saying that if anybody in the audience has a paper copy of this book, if they are able to help me out and let me know how it breaks down in terms of chapter starts and chapter endings cl as close as possible to the 50 page mark, um, 
I would really appreciate that because normally I've, I've mentioned before how reading on a Kindle, there aren't normal page numbers. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm often able to sort of suss it out by figuring out how many quote pages Kindle says something has and just dividing that number by the number of pages it says a book has on Amazon's listing for the paper book. I tried that this time and the number that I came up with was going to leave me, uh, I was going to be reading up until chapter 14, which does not feel right to me. These are not like extraordinarily short chapters. So I read um, chapters one through five. It took me about an hour. And that's usually around how long it takes for me to read 50 pages. I'm hoping that this is about as close to 50 pages as is appropriate. And I apologize if it feels like I shortchanged Jill. I hope I didn't. But it was particularly difficult to figure out this book. And I'm not sure why. I am kind of wondering if maybe what Kindle is counting as pages that I used in my like little, you know, my formula, if it was counting, like maybe there is an epilogue or if there's like a sneak peek at another book at the end, or if there's like a huge glossary or something, because I think it just really overestimated how much I was supposed to read. Um, but anyway, that aside, thank you to Ivia who is in the chat right now. This is really interesting because I don't I didn't look into exactly how much time had passed before this series started and I think that it um once I like got down to it I was like I actually if I'm not mistaken I think this takes place before I don't know how long before it feels like it has to be a long time before but I could be wrong about that um it's just like it it seems to me if it's not that long before i would be surprised that we didn't hear anything about the dark fold in the other two books so i don't know you know maybe it's just that she decided not to try and retcon things or whatever um Jamie's here. Hi, Jamie. She says, it's not as long before as you think Nina was a soldier in the Civil War. I mean, yes. Thing is that wars can go on for a real, real long time. So that didn't even like factor into my assessment, to be honest. I was just like, yeah, well, maybe this is like one of those perpetual wars that's just fucking going on forever because Lord knows that happens. Um, but OK, so I'll say max 10 years before, right? Um, so we start off with before is the name of the prologue. And this is where we meet the little boy and girl whom we wind up finding out their names later. But they are, and in this opening, it says the servants called them Malenchki, little ghosts, because they were the smallest and the youngest, and because they haunted the Duke's house like giggling phantoms, darting in and out of rooms, hiding in cupboards to eavesdrop, sneaking into the kitchen to steal the last of the summer peaches. The boy and the girl had arrived within weeks of each other, two more orphans of the border wars, dirty-faced refugees plucked from the rubble of distant towns and brought to the Duke's estate to learn to read and write and to learn a trade. The boy was short and stocky, shy, but always smiling. The girl was different, and she knew it. Um, 
so we get to hear uh, like over here a little of the talk of one of the uh the cooks talking about how the little girl is skinny and ugly and never eats anything and she says that the food just sucks when the boy asks her why not um and it's sort of for me i assumed that she was going to wind up having some sort of grisha power and that was going to be the reason that she was stunted in her growth was because for the grisha not using your magic is super unhealthy it's just like cutting off a basically part of your circulatory system essentially you know so i was really surprised when we jump ahead in time and she still has not accessed her power yet because i was like that's a given we know this is happening but it does it takes a while and even once she does she doesn't realize that she has and it's a, a whole thing um so we find out that like uh she and Mal, um, that they grow up together and are very sort of close. They, they are not affectionate with each other in like a romantic way, but it's very clear from the outset that she sees him that way. Whether or not he sees her that way, she certainly got feelings for him, um, even when they are very, very young, which starts to turn into much more of a thing as they get older. But they are visited, well, the institution that they are living at is visited by a group of Grisha. So Alina, and this is the main girl's name, um, and Malian are brought out, and we don't actually see the test take place, but we are told that that is what these people are here for. These Grisha are here to administer a test to tell whether or not they have powers. Now, it's a pretty telling moment here because Anna, who is the one who sort of runs this orphanage, she calls them in and the woman who is meeting with them asks if they know who we are. And Mal says, you're witches. And this woman turns to Anna and is like, what the fuck? do you seriously teach them that we're witches? Are you kidding me? Like we're here trying to do our duty and we find out you're feeding them this garbage. Are you serious? And Anna is very embarrassed by this. And this woman continues on. We are not witches. We are practitioners of the small science. We keep this country and this kingdom safe. As does the first army. Anna Kuya said quietly an unmistakable edge to her voice. The woman in red stiffened, but after a moment she conceded, as does the king's army. So clearly, Anna is feeling like maybe the normal people should be getting just as much credit as your ass. So I'm definitely going to chime in on this, by the way. Which, you know, this is a familiar refrain that a lot of people in this universe are intimidated to the point of resentment by the Grisha having the abilities that they have, which is really understandable. I mean, it would be awfully hard to be an ordinary person surrounded by folks who can do this kind of stuff and to have to just trust that they're not going to totally misuse it to accept the fact that they are treated completely differently because of abilities that they didn't earn necessarily. And that's not to say that they didn't earn their, their, fine detail work with them that they don't hone their abilities to be better 
but it is an accident of birth purely, you know, that they are born with these powers. Um, so Mal asks, what happens if we're Grisha? The woman in red looked down at them. If by some small chance one of you is Grisha, then that lucky child will go to a special school where Grisha learned to use their talents. You will have the finest clothes, the finest food, whatever your heart desires, said the man in purple. Would you like that? It is the greatest way that you may serve your king, said Anakuya, still hovering by the door. That is very true, said the woman in red, pleased and willing to make peace. The boy and girl glanced at each other, and because the adults were not paying close attention, they did not see the girl reach out to clasp the boy's hand or the look that passed between them. The duke would have recognized that look. He had spent long years on the ravaged northern borders, where the villages were constantly under siege, and the peasants fought their battles with little aid from the king or anyone else. He had seen a woman barefoot and unflinching in her doorway face down a row of bayonets. He knew the look of a man defending his home with nothing but a rock in his hand. And that is the end of the prologue. So, like I said, we don't actually see the test. And once we meet Alina and we find out that she has not accessed her power and it is sort of forced out of her a little bit later, I began to develop a theory that she tamped down her magic out of fear of being separated from Mal that she wanted so much to remain wherever he was because they saw each other as family that anything that she felt during the test that hinted towards her having an ability that would cause them to be separated she pushed down because once she is faced with the darkling she's almost able to do that again until he pushes her a little bit more and forces her ability up and out. So if she were being tested by somebody who was not an amplifier, as it turns out he is, she might have been able to just get away with not showing that she had these abilities at all. Um, so that's my theory that I'm running with here. So then we start with chapter one, jumping ahead a good amount of time, I'm going to say like at least 10 years. Um, and it turns out that Alina is being like sort of apprenticed by a map maker and she has been conscripted by the army. Um, and she is really, really nervous because it turns out that they are going to be going into something called the shadow fold. Um, no explanation is given on the outset of what that is. It's just talked about in terms of the weirdness of the fact of it, but there's no discussion on like what could have caused it. There's no real like, she doesn't, she hasn't spoken to anybody. It doesn't seem like who has gone through it to ask what it's like. Um, and it says, I'd seen the shadow fold on many maps, a black slash that had severed Ravka from its only coastline and left it landlocked. Sometimes it was shown as a stain, sometimes as a bleak and shapeless cloud. And then there were the maps that just showed the shadow fold as a long, narrow lake and labeled it by its other name, 
the Unsea, a name intended to put soldiers and merchants at their ease and encourage crossings. I snorted. That might fool some fat merchant, but it was little comfort to me. So then we hear her like dis- describing what she's actually looking at. And I, it, it was just incomprehensible. There's like a haze in the distance that's like just shadow. Um, and it reminds me of um, this thing in, I think it's Voyage of the Dawn Treader, where they accidentally sail their ship into a patch of darkness and the darkness itself is quite bad enough but it turns out that where they're where they are is close to an island where dreams come true and you know they hear that and they all think it's daydreams like our wishes and the one guy that they pull out of the water who's survived some other wreck is like not daydreams dreams And then everybody's like, oh, fuck. And like immediately trying to paddle the fuck out of there. And it sort of reminded me of that description because once they finally get out of it again, they turn around and they can see it like on the uh, ocean that there's like this patch of dark that's just hovering in midair that you can like kind of go around if you manage to. Um, So, yeah, it says... um, The valley had once been home to some of Ravka's richest estates. One day, it was a place where farmers tended crops and sheep grazed in green fields. The next, a dark slash had appeared on the landscape, a swath of nearly impenetrable darkness that grew with every passing year and crawled with horrors. Where the farmers had gone, their herds, their crops, their homes and families, no one knew. What? That's fucking terrifying. Like, straight up terrifying. I love this idea. Like, anything could be possible then. It, it, it could be... Because she says encourage crossings. So we know that crossings are a possibility. But it's also treated that, like, encouraging crossings is them just trying to get people to, like, pretend it's not as bad as it is. So it's sort of insinuated that crossings are like way more dangerous than they want people to think they are, which then I started to be like, is this like a black hole? Is there like, can you go through it and like you have to avoid certain spots where you get lost forever? And frankly, that might also be true because when they go into this darkness, they don't get far enough to be able to tell anything about it. Shit goes left really fucking fast. Um, so at this point, somebody comes up to her and is like joking around with her. And it turns out to be Mal. And Mal is very jocular is the word I want here. Um, and extremely flirty. And it's immediately clear that Alina still has feelings for him that she has harbored since she was a child. And she also realizes that he does not see her that way at all and struggles every single day with trying to not let his antics with other women bother her, even though they clearly do. 
Y'all, I am really lucky that I never wound up in this sort of place um, because I am unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, I have mostly managed to get with any dude that I have been interested in. Um, save one and that wound up being a blessing. So I have never like pined off to the side feeling like he doesn't even know who I am. Not that she's there because they're very close friends, but like them being friends almost makes it worse because she winds up hearing all of the details about his like excursions. She winds up getting to know him even better. And apparently realizing as they get older, that there's even more reason to admire him than she had in the first place. Like this just sucks. Like unequivocally, I really feel bad for her really caring about a person who doesn't see you the same way. That's bad enough. But when you're close like this and the possibility of even trying to start something could result in the loss of a relationship that already exists that means everything to you, that's a really shitty place to be in a, and a really tough decision to have to make. And so many people wind up in this place where they are very close friends with somebody and they find themselves growing romantically attracted to that person and they have to decide whether or not it's worth it to risk what is a very important friendship in order to pursue something romantic. And the thing that's so frustrating about that is it's really easy to be like, well, don't mess up the friendship. Just appreciate everything doesn't have to be romantic or about sex. Appreciate that you have a really good friend and just sort of like be with that and accept that as being as important as it is. And the thing about that is that then you have this where you have to stand off to the side and watch them be with other people and that consumes you. And you always wonder if it could have been like that with you two. And that's sort of up to the person in question. Can they let it go and move forward as a human being with their own lives and not get completely wrapped up in jealousy and bitterness and if they can, then maybe just staying friends is an option. Not everybody can do that. And I don't consider that a fault. Like, it's just depending on your personality, depending on your particular circumstance and relationship with this person, and depending on the way they choose to engage with you about their other relationships, that might not be avoidable. So I really feel for Alina here. And it's um a really tricky sort of thing to write a character like this who is pining after someone who is not necessarily interested in them and keep it from being pathetic or off-putting in some way and I feel like Bardugo has really managed to make it something that I can sympathize with and also I think it goes a long way that Alina is self-aware that she occasionally sort of chides herself and it's just like oh my god i can't believe that i'm looking at him like this i can't believe that i just thought that i can't believe that i'm mad about this this is like <sighs> i can't just live my life like this so she knows and that helps as a reader to feel like she's not just sad 
you know, she's sad. She is sad, but that's not all she is. Um, so she's talking to him about the crossing and he's sort of like amused by how very worried she is. And she, he says something like, well, maybe they'll pull Mikhail on the skift. The Volcro will take one look at that big juicy belly of his and leave us alone. And she remembers this like illustration of a Volcra that she and Mal saw in a book in the Duke's library. Um, it says long, filthy claws, leathery wings, rows of razor sharp teeth for feasting on human flesh. They were blind from generations spent living and hunting in the fold, but legend, legend had it. They could smell human blood from miles away. Uh, Ew. I just would like to register that I do not care for this. I want no part of it. And I would like to get off this ride. Now, here's my question. It says they were blind from generations spent living and hunting in the fold. Now, we find out from the Darkling later that his great, great, great grandfather is the one who caused the shadow fold to happen. And he doesn't get into what it is or you know he he says it was like a result of greed but that's not really long enough for this like creature to suddenly evolve into being blind i feel like there has to be like what were these things initially and where did they come from like did the fold cut into another dimension and allow things from there to come in here. I wonder like basically what these things sound like are blind, bloodthirsty pterodactyls. Um, they're the shape of their heads is not really like described. It's just said that they have like rows of razor sharp teeth. So they might, other than the wings, they might look nothing like pterodactyls, but it's hard to not picture that. Right. So she kind of like stops walking and gets a little flipped out when he says this and he teases her and is like, oh my God, that it was just a joke. That's not going to happen. And she's like, yeah, 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 I know. But she seems to almost have a bit of a premonition that maybe that is exactly what's going to happen. And as it turns out, yes, it is. Um, and there's this great moment where he says he like has her look him in the eye and is like, we're going to be okay. Okay. And she's like, okay. And he says, Madam's spirits have been restored. The sun can once more shine. And I'm like, Mal, Oh buddy, you don't even know how right you are though. <laughs> um, so at this point, a bunch of carriages go by. The first one is the darkling and his carriage, which is all black. The next one is lacquered in red. And then there's one after that that I think is blue. Yeah. Um, and that one, this girl leans her head out the window and she's got curly black hair and she looks at Mal and is just like, what's up? And this is the thing. Mal is a super attractive and very talented, extremely charismatic, and women just fall all over him. 
So for poor Alina, it's just brutal all the time. And he looks at this woman with the same sort of like staring open mouthed expression. And it's very clear that she made a huge impression on him. And everybody around him is extremely impressed that he got the attention of a Grisha girl. So we wind up finding out that like, the Grisha are treated as such higher level citizens that the idea of getting with a Grisha girl is sort of like a status symbol. It's like an out of the question, like, of course, you're not going to kind of foregone conclusion. And the fact that just standing on the side of the road, this girl noticed him and sort of like directed all of her attention at him. It means something. Um, so all of his friends wind up like coming up. Um, there's a guy named Dubrov, a guy named Mikhail, who they had been talking about earlier. And um, they sort of like spirit mal away, joking around with him about this girl. And he like kind of says bye to Alina. And he's like, um, all right, well, see you later, sticks. And she's thinking about how it says, I rubbed my arm where he'd punched me. Sticks. I hated that name. You didn't call me Sticks when you were drunk on Gvas and trying to paw at me at the spring bonfire, you miserable oaf, I thought spitefully. Um, so, yeah, he she does not like I don't think that Mal calls her Sticks ever, does he? It's just Mikhail. But I'm assuming that this is because she's like very thin and sort of unhealthy looking. Um, so she is it. It, like, and I want to mention too, I saw, I think Jamie shared something in the group about how, what's his face? Ben Barnes is going to be cast as the Darkling for the Netflix TV show, um, which is funny to me because like, I know that he is supposed to be extremely good looking, but he does so little for me that I constantly have to be reminded that people think he's attractive because <laughs> I just don't at all. So I'm frankly a little disappointed to hear that that's who it's going to be because when he's described as extremely beautiful with dark hair and clear gray eyes, I just can't not think of uh fucking Boone from Lost. What's his face? Um, who is just one of like the most beautiful people ever to grace the face of planet earth, to be honest. And I recognize that like, really he's probably too old for a role like this now, but yeah, he is just not my <laughs> if he says that's how beautiful he is. Ben Barnes is extremely beautiful. I can't even type. That's a yeah. See guys, they're all like talking about him being beautiful. I just don't not to me. I mean, maybe they'll do something with him, but um so I'm trying to like cast him differently in my head, but it's kind of impossible now. He's Ben Barnes. In my head now, which is unfortunate because that doesn't make too much of an impression on me, but I guess I'm alone. So the Darkling, as it turns out, is like high level Grisha. Like if he were a Magic the Gathering card, he'd be a legendary planeswalker or something. Um, but we don't wind up meeting him until later. So we have this whole thing with her and Alexi. Um, who is one of her friends. He's very talented. And she winds up showing up late to the session where she's supposed to be working on some of her cartography. 
And he gives her one of his drawings to sort of pass off as hers. And they have this like French, this friendly like rivalry a little bit going, but it feels like they're friends. Um, And there's this moment. So she's, she goes to bed um, and she hears this tapping that sort of summons her awake. And she goes out there and it's Mal who knows that she was laying there worrying. He's using like this little signal that they have to get her to come outside. Um, and it's a, he's, uh, let's see. He always tries to keep up with Mikhail. He'll probably end up puking on my boots. He's talking about his friends. Um, and she asks, so what are you doing here? And he says, I don't know. You looked so miserable at dinner. I, I was surprised he'd noticed. Just thinking about the crossing, I said carefully. It wasn't exactly a lie. I was terrified of entering the fold, and Mal definitely didn't need to know that Alexi and I had been talking about him. But I'm touched by your concern. Hey, he said with a grin. I worry. You know I'd be lost without you. You've never been lost in your life. He bumped his shoulder against mine. You know what I mean? Sure, I said. But I didn't. Not really. So this is interesting. Like, he's trying to be vulnerable with her a little bit and be like, no, you really mean a lot to me. And she's just like, whatever, weirdo. Like, she doesn't seem to know how to take that. Um, I just find that really amusing that he's just like, you're super important to me. And she's just like, I guess. So... He says uh, at one point, this time tomorrow we'll be sitting at the harbor and we'll be drinking. And she asks if Dubrov will be buying. And he said, just you and me. And she says, really? And he says, it's always just you and me, Alina. For a moment, it seemed like it was true. The world was this step, this circle of lamplight, the two of us suspended in the dark. And then his friends come out here and yell at him and summon him off. And... She just sits there feeling like, well, that's always a nice illusion to have for a moment, but then it hurts way more later and I kind of hate it. In the morning, they get ready really quickly before they get onto these sand skiffs to go across the fold. And this is a really interesting thing. They are basically sleds with sails attached that skim the surface of the sand of the fold And they have Grisha on board that can summon uh, the wind and direct them wherever they need to go. So this is a cool idea. I really like this because I was wondering, you know, I think at one point she says, oh, yeah, because she says that it's not safe for animals. Um, So that's why they can't just have horses pulling them across and whatnot. So. They get on and, and they're heading out and it's pretty alarming right away how dark everything is. She can't even see like her hand in front of her face and she starts to sort of calm herself and, and chant we're going to be okay until all of a sudden Alexi is like, oh my God, do you hear that? And at one point, one of the commanders yells burn and a bunch of Grisha flame shoots up from each of the skiffs, allowing them to see a little. 
And here's the thing. Volcra were supposed to move in small flocks, but here they were, not tens, but hundreds, hovering and swooping in the air around the skiff. All right, I'm calling it. They got summoned by somebody, right? These things are not just like accidentally traveling in packs of a hundred all of a sudden. She's on this thing and somebody knows and somebody's trying to get her. Or the Volcra are drawn to her because they are aware that she has an ability that even she's not aware of and maybe nobody else is yet either. Something about her is drawing them to her, to them though, because it's like, there's no other explanation for why they're suddenly breaking pattern for how they move and that they're all focused on her skiff out of all of them and like hitting the people right around her trying so desperately to get at her specifically. It just, it feels like targeted for sure. And fucking Alexi gets gripped up and dragged off in the fucking first like minute of this attack. It is crazy fast. I did not expect this at all. I feel so bad for him. And you don't actually see what happens. You just hear him get like yanked off. Um, and there's like him disappearing into the darkness. Mal winds up jumping in front of her and like protecting her. But he like gets really, really injured. And Alina is almost positive that he is going to die and is trying to like staunch the bleeding because this injury that he has is pretty terrible. Um, his breathing was labored. They're coming, he gasped. I looked up and saw in the feeble, fading glow of Grisha fire two Volkers swooping down upon us. I huddled over Mal, shielding his body with mine. I knew it was futile, but it was all I could offer. Um, so she is like holding him and grieving and afraid. And all of a sudden, she feels this pain going through her body. And the world goes white. And it's like something exploded and she passes out and she wakes up and they are going back to, um, what is the name of the town that they had just left? But in any case, they have not made it across. She, I think she was hoping when she woke up that they would like somehow have gotten to the other side. They did not. Um, somehow we made it through or had we? Yeah, they didn't. So at this point, the soldier is like shoving her back in and as she's trying to get up and telling her to stay where she is. And she's just like, what the fuck is your problem? Um, she doesn't understand yet that that explosion came from her. So it says, as I stepped onto the dry dock, I was surprised to see that we were back in Kribersk. That's right. That's the name of it. We hadn't even made it across the fold. I shuddered. Better to be marching through camp with a rifle at my back than be on the unsee. So at this point, she gets brought into the Grisha tent, which is absolutely gorgeous. So luxurious, just beautifully designed. Everything about it is pretty. And there sits the Darkling sitting in his chair apparently only half interested. He seems very bored with the proceedings, really. And she still has no idea what the fuck she's doing here. 
and he asked for a report from the captain. They described the attack and that there was a sudden blaze of light that was like as bright as noon. And all of these other Grisha who are around are starting to cotton on to what is being implied here. That this girl is like somehow a sun summoner, I think they call her. And they all think that this is absurd and are laughing at the mere idea of it. This is one of those things. And I saw a post the other day in the patron group about how like annoying it was that everybody laughed in Luna Lovegood's face because she believed in shit when like there are real things in Harry Potter that are just as ludicrous as anything that Luna believes. But that's how I felt about this. Like these Grisha are out here able to fucking basically bend time and space. And they're just like a sun summoner. This is beyond the pale. I can't believe it. Like, can't you really? Cause that seems very much like a total thing that could happen here. Now it's not something that we have heard about, talked about in the other books, but that is not just that only speaks to it being really rare not the fact that it's like an impossibility um so Ivia says reminds me of firefly sounds like science fiction sweetie we live on a spaceship so yeah fair exactly i forgot about that line i haven't seen that show in god knows at this point it's like eight years eight maybe ten god <sighs> i'm getting old um, so at this point, the cartographer comes out and tries to say like, yeah, I saw this happen. There was nothing I can do. And, um, she just yells out, Alexi might still be alive if you'd gotten off your bony ass to help us. And the cartographer gets very angry, but everybody else in the crowd sort of laughs and thinks that this is really funny. Um, so finally, the Darkling is like, you know what? All right, I'm just going to figure this out. I'm hearing all of you telling me what you thought you saw. I'm just going to do this myself. Um, now, what do you say, Alina Starkov? He asked pleasantly. There's been some kind of mistake. I didn't do anything. I don't know how we survived. Well, I like to think that I know everything that happens in Ravka, and that if I had a sun summoner living in my own country, I'd be aware of it. But something powerful stopped the Volcra and saved the king's skiffs. I didn't do anything. Not one thing. So he tries to ask her what she remembers, and she realizes that she really does not remember all that much. And he tells her to hold out her arm. So... He sort of connects with her using his magic. He claps his hands and there is this darkness that comes out of between his hands that spills over the two of them. Everything goes dark and all of a sudden she can feel his hand on her wrist and the fear that she initially felt starts to subside a little bit. I felt a call ring through me, and to my surprise, I felt something in me rise up to answer. I pushed it away and pushed it down. Somehow I knew that if the thing got free, it would destroy me. Nothing here, the Darkling murmured. I realized how very close he was to me in the dark. 
My panicked mind seized on the words. Nothing there, that's right, nothing, nothing at all, now leave me be. And to my relief, that struggling thing inside me seemed to lie back down, leaving the darkling's call unanswered. Not so fast, he whispered. I felt something cold press against the inside of my forearm. In the same moment that I realized it was a knife, the blade cut into my skin. Pain and fear rushed through me. I cried out. The thing inside me roared to the surface, speeding toward the darkling's call. I couldn't stop myself. I answered. The world exploded into blazing white light. The darkness shattered around us like glass. For a moment, I saw the faces of the crowd, their mouths wide with shock as the tent filled with shining sunlight, the air shimmering with heat. Then the darkling released his grip, and with his touch went that peculiar sense of certainty that had possessed me. The radiant light disappeared, leaving ordinary candlelight in its place, but I could still feel the warm and inexplicable glow of sunshine on my skin. So, at this point, he's like, yup, take her. And she's like, wait, what? And these guards just come out and scoop her up. And we wind up finding out later, there are plenty of people who are very happy with the shadow fold being in place. It gives them a distinct advantage over a country full of Grisha. And they do not want this problem to be solved. And finding out that she is a sun summoner really would fuck up their plans and uh maybe they would want to take her out or get a hold of her for their own purposes and either way she is in danger now that enough people know about this um so this guy ivan is the guard that's sort of like in charge of you know shuttling her around and he has to be reminded to speak to her a little bit more courteously because he is just chucking her around like a bag of potatoes, but she's Grisha now. So she's of a different class. So he needs to chill the fuck out. Um, and she does, she's like trying to resist getting in the coach. And he's like, you're going to fucking do this. And she says, so I'm the darkling's prisoner. You're under his protection. What's the difference? Ivan's expression was unreadable. Pray you never find out. Ooh, it's a good line. Um, so they head on out and she is seen to by a healer. And then the healer is uh, asked to give up her kefta, which is her coat, her fur lined coat. And I really like the line. The woman frowned, but hesitated only a moment before she shrugged out of her red kefta and handed it to me. She kept her face blank, but I could tell it pained her to part with it. So, yeah, these are each stitched with very specific embroideries or edged with very specific colors to let you know precisely what kind of Grisha they are. Um, so she has this coat on, but it's too big for her. And a little bit later, she's like eating with her hands and she just has to wipe her hands on it. And she feels so bad because it's this gorgeous piece of clothing, way nicer than anything she has ever owned. But she's just like really got not a lot of options here. Um, and as they're driving, it's dark out and there's not much to look at. And she kind of has to engage with a bit of a chit chat with the other two guards um and 
she tells Ivan she's not going to like do any uh, tricks so he can just take a nap and he's like insulted by it. And he pulls out from his collar a bunch of bear claws that are on a silver chain that he wears around his neck. And it turns out this is an amplifier and that it will, uh, you know, give his power a focus that will give him like more access to more. He says it will increase the power, but the power must be there to begin with. Do all Grisha have them? I asked. Fedyor stiffened. No, he said. Amplifiers are rare and hard to obtain. Only the Darkling's most favored Grisha have them. Even Ivan said smugly. I was sorry I asked. The Darkling is a living amplifier, Fedyor said. That's what you felt. That's one of his powers. So that's pretty dope. I really like the idea of like a person being an amplifier, although he points out later that like one of his teeth or bones could be used as an amplifier for people if they were to try and take some. And she's like, doesn't that concern you? And he's like, not really, because he's so confident in his abilities. He just doesn't have to worry. And I am going to put down money right now that something is going to happen where he has to sacrifice something in order to give her access to amplification when he is not around. I don't know if this means he cuts a finger off, but I hope that's what it means because that would be amazing. Um, so they continue on driving and they wind up getting stopped with a tree across the road, which winds up being a trap. And they are attacked by a bunch of Fjordans. And she is running up the hillside trying to get away. And this dude gets the drop on her and is about ready to drive a knife into her heart when the Darkling stops him. And is just like, hey, dude, don't do this. If you just drop the knife and walk away. I will let you just scurry back to your king. And the dude's like, yeah, right. You're going to let me go. I know about you, Darkling. You don't just let people walk away. So, and, and, and he says, he will not have you, he crooned softly. He will not have the witch. He will not have this power too. And he is about to drive the knife down when all of a sudden he basically splits in half and his parts fall and poor Alina is like covered in blood. Ah, uh, so gross. Um, the rest of him swayed for a moment above me, a dark wisp of smoke fading in the air beside the wound that ran the length of his severed torso. Then what remained of him fell forward. I found my voice and screamed. Yeah, that sounds awful. The Darkling scoops her up and puts her on the front of his horse. And at one point he's like, you're shaking. And she's like, yeah, you cut a dude in half on top of me. Hi, yeah, I'm shaking. Oh, I'm so sorry. What the fuck? And he's just like, huh, yeah, I guess. That could do it. I just, I don't know. It doesn't really phase me anymore. I don't know. 
And she's just like, okay, that's how you live. That sucks. But okay, I guess, you know, whatever. Yikes. Um, yeah, it's kind of hilarious, actually. Um, so then the final chapter, chapter five, um, she is thinking to herself about the fact that uh, he's acting really weird around her and that she thinks that maybe she offended him somehow. But he's just got this overall remove. He's very, like, cool and aloof. And it's hard for her to tell what's just how he is and what is a reaction to her. Um, also, she is not used to horseback riding, and this is really taking a toll on her. So at one point, she's like, um, she's, they've made camp, and she's sort of smiling to herself, thinking about Mal, and the Darkling uh, is watching her, and she blurts out, I'm not Grisha. And he's like, yeah, the evidence suggests otherwise. What makes you so certain? Look at me. I'm looking. Do I look like Grisha to you? Grisha were beautiful. They didn't have spotty skin and dull brown hair and scrawny arms. He shook his head and rose. You don't understand at all, he said, and began walking back up the hill. Are you going to explain it to me? No, not right now. Oh, so annoying. So finally, a little bit later, they have sat down, they've had something to eat, they've had some drinks, and she gets up the balls to ask him how old he is. And he says he doesn't know exactly, and she's about unwilling to accept that until he asks her how old she is exactly, and she realizes that she doesn't really have an answer. And he says about 120. And she's just like, wait, what? I mean, I know Grisha have long lives, but like you look like you're like 30 years old. Wow. And he's like, yeah, I have a lot of power. And the more power you've got, the healthier it makes you. So, you know, you do the math. Um, and he says, our t he asks, what kind of stories were you told about me? And she says, our teachers told us that you strengthened the second army by gathering Grisha from outside of Ravka. I didn't have to gather them. They came to me. Other countries don't treat their Grisha so well as Ravka, which we know from the other books. They said you were the strongest darkling in generations. I didn't ask for flattery. He watched me, waiting. Well, I said, there was an old serf who worked on the estate. Go on, he said. Tell me. He, he said that darklings are born without souls, that only something truly evil could have created the shadow fold. I glanced at his cold face and added hastily, but Anakuya sent him packing and told us it was all pleasant, peasant superstition. And he's like, yeah, that sounds right. I've heard that one before. And this is when he tells her that his great-great-great-grandfather was the black heretic, the darkling who created the shadow fold. 
It was a mistake, an experiment bored of his greed. Maybe his evil. I don't know. But every darkling since then has tried to undo the damage he did to our country, and I'm no different. I've spent my life searching for a way to make things right. You're the first glimmer of hope I've had in a long time. The world's changing, Alina. Muskets and rifles are just the beginning. I've seen the weapons they're developing in Kirch and Fiera. The age of Grisha power is coming to an end. Um, so he wants her to help him destroy the Shadowfold. And she's just like, me? You are stupid. <laughs> There's no way. I for, like, I'm just not one of you. Whatever happened, I didn't do it, is what she keeps insisting. Now, I've got to be honest with you guys. I don't have a whole lot of patience for this. I understand her feeling like I don't, I'm not pretty. You guys are all gorgeous. You, there's no way. But I also feel like at this point, if it's not that far, if it's not that much earlier than the other books, they have to know by now that holding your magic back is unhealthy for you, right? So it has to mean that he's simply not telling her about how undergrown she is, essentially, for some reason, which I wish he would just explain it to her and be like, I think you could look like us if you just stopped repressing this. But for whatever reason, he's not telling her all of this. Um, and finally, she like shares that it makes her really freaked out what he did to that dude. And he asks her, so what? If I did it with a sword, it would be fine. And she says, I don't know. And he gets real irritated and gets up and walks away. And she's like looking after him and has this feeling that this was a test of some kind and she failed, which it probably was. He's trying to see if she's just going to be like fucking afraid of him like everybody else, because clearly he seems a little bit lonely and uh, answer. Yes, she will be afraid of him just like everybody else. And he's just kind of over it. So it's another two days of traveling before they finally get to Osalta. Um, and Osalta is this huge city that is really beautiful. It's like just completely otherworldly as far as she is concerned. Um, there's just parks and trees and everything is like clean and beautiful. There are fountains all over the place. The streets are, you know, all decorated and the gates are gold and there's all this like just ornate attention given to every detail and they wind up coming to the main grand palace and the darkling asks her what she thinks of it and she says it's very grand and he says i think it's the ugliest building i've ever seen which i want to see this now i'm like really interested in what they're going to make it look like on screen um and then he summons her to the little palace. Summons is the wrong place. He leads her there. Um, which is, while smaller than the Grand Palace, still humongous and covered in carvings of birds and flowers and trees and vines and all this stuff. Um, and there are a bunch of servants waiting for them. And she is assigned a particular servant 
It says, I felt a surge of annoyance. The Darkling had said little to me since that night in the barn, and he'd given me no idea what I might expect once we arrived. But I didn't have the nerve or energy to run after him, so I meekly followed the woman in grey through another pair of double doors and into one of the smaller towers. When I saw all the stairs, I almost broke down and wept. Maybe I'll just ask if I can stay down here in the middle of the hall, I thought miserably. <laughs> oh, girl, I know that feel, though. Y'all, there's, um, so I've been doing a lot more at the gym lately with, um, squatting and deadlifts that causes my legs to get sore a lot faster. Oh, sorry, I got something in my eye. Um, and there is a machine that does, like, assisted pull-ups but the machine, you have to really take like two large steps up in order to get onto it in the first place. And it's one of those things that like, I know I'm here to work out and I do want to do these pull-ups, but do I have to climb up on this fucking machine? Don't make me do this. You know, it's like, there are moments when you're just like, I just can't. Don't ask me, please. Um, so she finally gets up there and the maid asks if she needs anything to eat. Um, and she just is like, no, I just need to pass out. And she's like, okay, sure, go ahead and I'll let you rest. Make sure to lock your door as a precaution. And it ends with Alina being like, a precaution against what? But she just like falls into bed and falls asleep. So that is the end of chapter five. I feel like that was about 50 pages. But like I said, if any of you have access to the paper book and you want to like give me an idea you know, for the next few episodes at what chapter I should stop at. I'm all ears because I want to make sure that I'm giving everybody their money's worth and not going too far ahead or whatever. Oh, my eye is killing me. Thank God this episode's almost over. Um, so thank you all again so, so much for listening. Um, thank you to Jill for commissioning this episode. I'm really excited. This is going to be fun. And thank you to Jamie who got me the Kindle edition of the book. Super duper appreciate that, Jamie. It was a birthday present, so I appreciate that a lot. Um, all right, guys. Well, I will be seeing you soon with a new episode. And until then, toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. 
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.